You are listening to Innovate at Open, stories from the cutting edge of technology innovation rooted in open source software and collaborative processes. I'm your host, Gordon Half. Welcome to another edition of the Innovate at Open podcast. I'm here in San Diego at KubeCon with Manifold, and we're going to talk about building sustainable businesses with open source. Thank you for having us, Gordon. My name is Matt Krieger. I'm a co-founder at a company called Manifold. Manifold is a marketplace company for developer tools and services. And I'll pass it over to uh, Leah. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm the VP of product at Manifold, and I'm really excited to be here talking with you today. So this podcast is about open source, it's about innovation in open source, it's about enabling developers, enabling operations, really all things open source. What does Manifold specifically have to do with open source? So I don't think Manifold would exist without the open source community. I think one of the, the, the place that we started with Manifold was... Um, so we we built we built our we built a company called GoInstant that was acquired by Salesforce in 2012 2013. Um, GoInstant was a developer tools company. It was uh, if you're looking today for something that looks similar, Firebase is probably the best example. It's very early in the developer tools ecosystem, and at that point in time, the only role um, open source really played in um, building GoInstant was delivering GoInstant as a tool. Uh, into the hands of developers, regardless of which community they were in. So um, if you were building uh, front-end applications with Angular or um, React or Ember.js, um, then you wanted a client, an open-source client, that you could use to adopt that set of tools. And I think what open-source meant to us then was this this tool shouldn't be... Um, built exclusively for GoInstant, you should be able to swap out GoInstant for anything that looks like GoInstant and be able to keep the same client library in Angular React. So I think that's where we started. And uh, we ended up at Salesforce. I myself ended up at uh, Heroku, built the developer relations team there. And Heroku had this deep culture of um, con- contribution to the open source community. Matt Matsumoto, the creator of um, Ruby, is uh, sponsored by um, Heroku. Um, uh, Terence Hone, a contributor to uh, Bundler, the, the, the Ruby package management system, is at Heroku. And I think I got to, to see at Heroku how, how a company can contribute back to the open source ecosystem in a way that doesn't take away their competitive advantage and um, makes the best, the best of what they're building that doesn't relate to their core business value available to other companies so that you have this like rising tide lifts all boats effect. Um, we then uh, left Heroku and started Manifold. And the reason that we started Manifold initially was because we saw all these great developer tools companies, companies that look like uh, GoInstant, the company that we um, started and sold to Salesforce. We saw them struggling to reach developers, struggling to get their technologies in the hands of developers. And where do most of them start or where do a lot of them start? They start with, um, it, it's uh, Salvatore, um, anti-res, building Redis, and then trying to figure out how he takes this open source thing and builds a career around it. And, of course, he did that um, in partnership with Redis Labs. He's at, he's at Redis Labs now. And I think we've seen that history. We've seen uh, technologies like Parse, uh, an open source, an open source uh, database as a service, or PaaS, um, be purchased by Facebook, and then really kind of not get why it was important and shut it down. Um, we've seen, is it, was it ReachDB? 
ReachDB, I think it was ReachDB, that um, great open source project, a huge community behind it, and then they fell over because they couldn't turn their open source project into a commercially viable business. And that's where Manifold started. We wanted to give people a way of easily taking great technology and building a big business around it. And that really is the challenge with a lot of open source projects with developers is it's one of those, at least one of those chasms that you sort of run into is that they built this interesting project, but they have to move beyond that. So what are some of the sort of patterns you've seen and what are some of the things you kind of specifically do in order to sort of help them cross that chasm? I mean, billing can often be, how do you uh, charge? How do you find a way to connect with developers, um, uh, connect your service um, to the larger community? Um, I, like, I think one of the things we see is almost a hesitation to uh, talk about monetizing sometime. But like, if you leave money on the table, um, when you're really providing a, a value um, to the ecosystem, it makes it hard for you to sustain, sustain delivering that value through growth. So um, one of the things um, that we've done at Manifold is we enable um, developers to reach different platforms where um, people that want to buy them can easily discover um, and test out their services with free services, um, but also find a way to um, like easily get these new revenue streams from really reven- relevant audiences um, based on the platforms um, that their customers are reaching like, through Manifolds. Yeah, I, th- I think arguably the history of free software, mm-hmm. open source software, one of the perhaps downsides of that history is it it has created this hesitancy to be too blatant about commercialization and certainly it's gone through periods when commercialization was kind of a bad word (laughs) and i think we're starting to maybe get away from that so i think if you look at the way that people in open source um maybe stumble into it they either Work on a project internally. Maybe your company is leveraging Postgres and you need deep expertise on the Postgres drivers. And so you start contributing to those Postgres drivers. You become an expert in Postgres. And then the question becomes, where can you generate the most value for our ecosystem at large? And I think the answer is almost always going to be as a full-time contributor to Postgres, a technology that thousands and thousands of companies depend on. But how do you make that leap? How, how is it sustainable for you as an individual to work on Postgres full-time if it's always being given away for free? And I, so there's lots of ways that that ends up happening. They either end up um, taking on sponsorship with projects like Patreon, which is, I think, a step in the right direction. So Patreon, in case you're not familiar with it, you get to sponsor your favorite open source projects. You commit to giving the money, usually on a monthly basis. I think the challenge with something like um, Patreon is it's all based on uh, goodwill. Whereas there is a lot of enterprises out there that don't want um, a sponsorship of Patreon on their PNL, or if they do, it's in their mar- on their marketing PNL and not on their infrastructure PNL where it, where it belongs. Uh, so I think that's one side of it, and then I think the other side of it is as a as a developer, I build a really um, 
compelling open source project. And now I don't know how, I mean, to Leah's point, I don't know how to monetize it. Um, and what, what, what does that look like? Well, it either means you get a corporate sponsor. So you start, you go back, you're back in that same place where you're like, if you're using my technology, then please like make sure I can put bread on the table. Um, or you look at packaging it up and selling it to a company that you then go and work for. And I, I just think there's a better option than that, you know, and I think it, it really depends on, on the type of service you're running. But I think in many cases, your best option is to take this open source thing that you know well. Don't stop giving it away. Let people who want to manage it and build up, develop their own ex- expertise do that. But if they want to benefit from your expertise, if they want you to manage it for them, then I think it's fair play to monetize that, to, 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 to introduce some level of commerce so you can keep working on that project. And the open, by the way, the people who are using that project for free also benefit from that investment. Um, so I think it's it's kind of a no-brainer. And then, of course, you know, like, what are the challenges? Uh, Leah mentioned billing. I mean, there's a lot of cha- challenges to packaging up and selling a piece of technology. And we have to bring down those barriers. One of them is that developers are effectively immune to marketing. You know, it's like they hate marketing. I hate marketing as a developer, right? Uh, I think that's why your podcast is so cool because it's about – it's talking about things that are relevant to our community. It's not, it's not full of commercials, you know. And I think that's, that's something that um, as a community – we need to get behind it's how do we how do we take great open source projects and bring down the barriers to commercialization in a way that's like compatible with what we care about as a community so let's make it easier to reach developers let's make it easier to package our tools and run our tools in lots of different environments let's not lock developers into any particular platform i don't want to pick a tool and never be able to leave a platform you know so let's make it easy for developers to take their open source projects build businesses around them that are that are great you know the, you know, the sustainability for open source is clearly a huge topic today. And I, I would argue that there have been some false steps to address it. I'd a, I would actually argue that Patreon is probably one of those false steps because it creates this illusion that, oh, if I just get popular enough, uh, you know, I'll make a good living off of that, whereas that is very unlikely to be the case and in part because companies don't don't you know there's a lot of mechanisms it's difficult for companies to donate the the other issue though with the kind of donation model is that it puts it into the realm of i'm paying for this open source project just out of the goodness of my heart it's it's a charity and Jim Zemlin of Lakes Foundation has really argued that, yeah, I mean, some of some of that, yeah, there is a certain moral imperative there, but arguably, companies, or companies, organizations with money need to be convinced is in their own best interest to do this, and anything else is probably going to be pretty marginal from a sustainability perspective. And what do you think about the value that a company is going to want to recognize? Like you've built a tool, it's valuable. Um, if you pay for it, there's an expectation that you can rely on it and it's going to, to be around and be in, reinvested in and grow and continue to grow with your use case. There's value in not just the ability to reinvest, but I, I also think in some ways maybe the perception of I can count on this, um, like I'm paying for it. <laughs> And you're like, you have a little bit more skin in the game in terms of that it's adding value to you and you're recognizing it through the, the bills that you're paying. We need to expect more 
if I'm if I'm building an open source package, I'm building an open source package. I'm building a piece of code that I expect to run in somebody else's environment. And that's so limited. Like we can do much more than that. We're sitting here at CNCF. We we're building on top of the one of the biggest shifts in technology. I mean, at least in the last decade, Kubernetes. And it has made it possible to do more than just deliver a package into a particular environment. So why aren't we moving beyond that? You know, we, it, it started with APIs. We started to shift. Okay, well, now I can buy APIs and I can monetize APIs. But an API, eh, even that, it doesn't, we can, do, we can do more than APIs. An API, a lot of the clients or the open source clients are really just giving us a layer of abstraction on top of an API. But the best tools, the tools we use day in, day out, they have great de- documentation, great support, an amazing dashboard. Those are things that you are never going to get for free. Or at least it's unlikely that you'll get high-quality experiences for free. So I think as a as a, I am, um, as a co-founder of Manifold, I'm very willing to pay for services that do more than just give me a package that I can run in my environment. There's places where that makes sense. but So I think that's the other exciting thing, is that we have all these people who build brilliant UX for developers. And we can ask for more of them if we're willing to pay them to do it full-time. You know, so the bar rises. I think arguably there are, there are a lot of open source projects out there that because they've just sort of ended up, well, I can't monetize it. It's not even worth trying to monetize it because that's going to be hard. So I'm not going to do the work on that project that isn't personally fun for me. And sorry, writing documentation is not fun. Yeah, definitely not fun. And, arguable, and again, arguably... If there were better paths to monetization, we're not necessarily talking huge, becoming huge companies, um, you know, VC invested companies or anything, but just lifestyle businesses, to use a term that I don't particularly like, but which I think gets the message across, we would have better software out there. So one thing you said there is like, none of us like to write documentation. And that's true. And you know what? We expect to be paid to do the bits we don't like. As developers, a lot of us love uh, working on open source packages. Uh, maybe I'm, I've got a deep passion for that Postgres driver and I'm willing to do the work on that for free. But I'm not going to go much beyond that. I think that's a really good point. It's like, if you want me to do the, the hard work that makes this thing easy for you, for you to use, then please make it sustainable. For oh, and then yes, to your second point, it's to do or die at the moment. You know, I, I, I think either you build a big business or you're shutting your software down. You know, and I don't think it needs to be make or break. I think we do need to build an ecosystem that makes it possible for small open source projects to become small SaaS companies, you know, and have it be a sustainable, have it be a sustainable lifestyle business. Maybe you should be able to spin up four or five of those and manage them all yourself. We could, we should be able to, as a community, make it that easy. And I think it would be very valuable if we could. What is really missing for that to happen today? That's a great question. So I think if you look at the barriers that um, somebody that's trying to start a business around open source has today, the first one is that um, they they have to build a small group of developers. It's like that initial hump, you know, I build something and then I need enough traction, I need enough feedback that I can figure out whether what I built actually matters and is useful. That's a, a lot of the time, that's a, that's a tough hump to get over. And when you go and you list your product on the Heroku marketplace or the AWS marketplace, well, one... There's a lot of engineering effort in getting it listed there. And two, they don't surface your listing. Nobody's going to discover your project until you're already successful. And so what's left for you? Well, 
you go on the road, you give talks at conferences, it, you, you try to attract stars on your GitHub repo. It's just not ideal. And so I think the first barrier that we need to lower is the barrier of, of distribution uh, for early adopters. You've got to be able to get your tool into the hands of early adopters and get some feedback from them. And then the second barrier is, well, okay, uh, people like the thing that I've made and I want to start selling it. Well, uh, this was uh, Leah's point earlier. How do you start accepting payments? How do you package a developer tool? It's not as simple as saying, um, hey, I am, I'm, I, you cut my hair and I'll get $20 cash and I'll hand it to you. A lot of, um, most of the time people expect you to meter uh, either based on, da- it looks different for every de- developer tool and that's a problem. Some of them are fixed monthly, but most of them are metered monthly or annually. And as the billing systems become more complicated, well, now that's not a rock as an individual that you're going to lift. And so we have to make it easier for people to package and sell software, which is kind of part of that distribution. And then the last thing um, I think is it's like, you've got to help them climb that ladder because most small um open source projects, they start in the startup community, they start with grassroots movements, and then they start moving towards the enterprise. And moving towards the enterprise, that has a lot of connotations. Are you going to become HIPAA compliant as an individual? Ooh, that's tricky. You know, that that took that was a significant undertaking even at Heroku. Um, but I think it's possible if we can make all the tools that they use to build and offer that service HIPAA compliant from the beginning. So I think it's about giving them a strong foundation to build on. It's about having the right layers of abstraction in the right, the right places. And maybe even more importantly, it's about not introducing abstraction where you don't need it. So as an example, I think one of the trends today is that we build abstractions around the APIs. Well, if I'm, if I'm t- taking an open source project, or uh, maybe it's a database, and I'm making it available to people, my UX is my API. And I don't want anybody to introduce a layer of abstraction or act as a proxy between me and my customers. So don't introduce abstraction there. You know, don't act as an intermediary there. So I think we've just got to be careful about introducing the right abstraction in the right places to make it easier for developers to take open source projects and turn them into businesses and, uh, and, and not screw it up too badly by introducing wrong abstraction in the wrong places. What is the specific process? So, Matt, you've talked about it from the perspective of a developer tool um, growing as a business. Um, But I think the other area, um, the other angle we can take to look at it is looking at it from a developer point of view. And, like, what does it take? What are the barriers to adoption when you're in a world that's very modular and composable and, um, and you're looking for the tools that you want? And these are other, I think, barriers that um, as a community we're continuing to figure out how we overcome them that like the first barrier being selecting the services that actually make sense that you want to build with Um, and the better we get at helping people with selection um, the better they'll be able to connect to the tools that you know that they want and then the other one is how do I combine these services in a way that makes sense like the more modular and flexible and powerful the thing you want to build is, the more open source tools you're going to be pulling in from a bunch of different places. And so we haven't really converged on, a, you know, a standard pattern or set of tools to really do that, you know, across all of our applications. Like there's a whole bunch of like pro- like ideas and uh, proposals and uh, tooling out there, but but it's still very um, very open. <laughs> Um, and then also estimating cost can be a barrier, um, less so if everything's, you know, free. But those three barriers, when you look at it from that, that perspective, um, uh, the more we can do to solve those, and it does get to back to abstraction, I think, um, the better off we'll be in terms of connecting the right tools with the right audience. What does the process look like of 
your company connecting to a new developer, a new customer? So if you're, if you, so we, we just launched a marketplace for a company called Render. Um, Render is, looks a little bit like Heroku if Heroku was built today and was built entirely for a microservices stack. Um, they just won TechCrunch um, Disrupt, so congratulations to Render. Um, and I think if you're looking at getting a service listed on Render today, the way that looks, the, the first challenge you have is that you need to be able to automate provisioning of your software. So it's like somebody sets up an account, and then there is some uh, some resource. Let's use database as an example again. So there's a user. We'll call him John. John needs a new database set up for himself. Um, and with that database comes a set of credentials. And now you've got the problem of delivering that, those credentials. That provisioning flow is the very first thing that we set up and the first problem we solve. And then there's packaging. So it's like, okay, well, um, how much am I going to pay for the database? Well, that depends on what kind of database you want provisioned and what kind of services you want with that database. And so we make it really easy for developers to say, um, if you want these features in your database, then it's going to have this price tag associated with it. And they don't have to set any of that up. Um, They describe them in code. And then um, we manage the billing arrangement with platforms like Render. And that's the, the other side of this is if, if you're Render and you're, um, you're building a platform. So the, what makes Render, platforms like Render unique is that's where applications are being run. And so this is where developers congregate. That's where they're concentrated. It's where it's the, it's the last mile as a developer. If you operate a service, um, you need to deliver credentials to that service. And that's going to require some level of integration. Well, there's tons of these platforms out there. How do you pick one? Are you going to pick a platform that seems to have the most traction? Maybe that's AWS. Are you going to pick a a platform that's the most compatible with whatever technology it is you're using? That seems like a good approach too. Well, why should you have to choose? You know, it's not not like you, if you're a JavaScript developer, it's not like you pick which package manager you're going to list your package in. You go and you list it in NPM. You publish it to NPM and anybody in the NPM ecosystem can use it. We need that same problem solved for developer tools and services so that there's one place where I can publish my developer tool or service and every single platform is going to be able to choose whether it's right for my audience because in some cases it might not make sense but in a lot of cases it will. Well at Manifold one of the things that we've done to meet developers where they are and bring them the tools is um, we started off um, as a secrets management tool and then as a direct to developer like dashboard situation um, and where we've landed is a modular composable marketplace experience where um, during certain work workflows as you're creating things certain tools and services like adding logging and monitoring will make sense we've made it possible for platforms to pull in the relevant tools and services right at the moment of like ideation and creation um, to, to try to help spark an idea and then make it easy for them to bring it to life. Um, so by making our marketplace function just as we would think about our code or you know our systems as being very like modular, um, that's that's one of the things we're toying with. So um, we would leave it to the developer community and platform um, context to decide how to connect users with services, developers with services, um, instead of uh, kind of you know, prescribing that or creating yet another destination. Great. Thank you. Um, I think that probably covers things. Uh, anything you'd like to close with? I might just say that if you have an open source project that you are thinking about throwing away, you know, you, you, you don't think it's sustainable, you can't build a business um, around it, then don't give up just yet. Uh, you know, get in touch with us. I mean, maybe we can help. Well, thank you, both of you.
Thank you. It was fun being here. Thank you so much, Gordon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovate at Open. For future episodes, subscribe to Innovate at Open on your favorite podcast app. You can also go bitmason, B-I-T-M-A-S-O-N, dot blogspot.com for show notes, blogs, and a full archive of episodes and more. Thank you for listening. This is Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist at Red Hat.